are back in the merry month of March. Mm. I know it's not March. It's supposed to be May. I know that. Don't send us emails. Send us emails. <laughs> Godsdigigods.com. Godsdigigods.com. Um, so I think we will... Uh, we will emphasize that if you are quarantined because of the coronavirus, you can listen to this podcast still. Yeah. You may not be able to go out to a movie, to a concert, to anything else, but you can listen to this podcast. Our podcast has been wholly and completely disinfected <laughs> for your listening safety. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, you know, it's it's hurting the business. Oh, man. Uh, so uh, Mission Impossible, um, yeah. uh, production uh, delayed as well as uh, release um, yeah. pushed back to, you know, whoever knows when. Uh, theaters across Asia, certainly China, closed. Yeah. Um, James Bond pushed to November. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and you and I were talking a little bit about why this is so costly. Yeah, uh, and, that, and we're not, and we're not I have sure. A little bit of, I have a hard time understanding, but you're you're right. There is a sort of chain of things that happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know everybody locks in. It used to be back in the good old days where you made a certain number of movies and you released them into a certain number of theaters and you left them out there, and you could then you pulled them from release or you put them back. But there 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 used to be a way right up through the 1970s of um, just being a little bit more flexible. And now there's this giant pipeline of ancillary exploitation mm. where the movie comes out, and we're, while the movie is out, we're preparing the digital release and the DVD release, and then you know it goes to this and this. And it's all lined up in such a giant chain of dominoes that if you, if you, you know, it's, it, it, if you, mess with any one part of it you're likely to just you have you have other movies lined up behind yeah right? i do know that ad buys is a thing i mean ad, ads are being bought now for things that are meant That's to be it. seen like two or three years yeah. now so you know money is being spent or committed uh and uh and how much of that can be uh recouped i suppose you know advertising agencies and yeah. networks and all the different places and so i i, I guess I, i'm beginning to see how it could reverberate yeah it's just a ripple effect it's yeah. just a massive ripple effect because every Everything is so interconnected now. And that, to my mind, is an argument against over-interconnectedness. Mm. Because if, it, it, which I realize for giant corporations, you know, you, 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 everything is, uh, has to be predictable to some level. So you want to be able to tell your shareholders, and I hate that, that, that word, thing, that word, shareholder. Shareholders, you want to be able to tell your shareholders what's going to happen in three years because of what we're doing right now. Mm. And that's just crazy to me. Yeah. It's not how the business should work. It's not how and, – and we're kind of paying the price right now. Look, we're not going to get a pandemic, you know, every other year or every 10 years. It happens, you know, once every 20 years, but um, if even. Mm. But it's it's hurting, you know, and um, we'll see. Well, you know, the, 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 the one spot where the hurting is most obvious and most evident is uh, actual production. Yeah. Right. So 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 places in the world in the world which is just about everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, where where it, it, this is an issue, uh, productions are either uh, shutting down or not going to in the first place. Yeah. I would not want to be a part of the Italian film industry right now. No. Which is just so unfair, by the way, because the only reason why they have more cases, relatively speaking, is because they did the broader, deeper test testing right from the beginning. So yeah. they, the, therefore, they simply identified more. It'll all yeah. level out eventually. But anyway, yeah, no, I would not want to be a part of the Italian film industry right now. I, uh, yeah, I, I suppose um, the Japanese film industry is having a tough time right now. The South Korean yeah. film industry is having a tough time right yeah. now. Yeah. 
So um, and on the uh, heels so, of parasite, that's yeah, oh that yeah, sucks. And it, yeah, and uh, and then and of course what that plays out in the in, in the paychecks of ordinary people. Yeah, well, you know, regular. And I'm not just Absolutely. talking about writers and actors; they'll be fine. People, be, catering people, yeah. and and uh, your your various vendors, you know, uh, teamsters and truck drivers, yeah, and, and all yeah. kind of stuff. So yeah. so these things, yeah, yeah, they uh, they reverberate. So yeah. we shall see where we are soon. Well, anyway. Like I said, you don't have to go out to enjoy this podcast. So there we are. Uh, otherwise, not a lot happening uh, in the world of film and television. But you know what? We're going to get right into it with some cult stuff. And uh, we haven't talked about cult in quite a while. Wow, what, an in- what a crazy bunch of cult stuff we've got. I'm starting off with something from 1987. Tim, had you ever heard of Edge of the Axe? No. And I would have remembered a movie with that title. I'm almost sure of it. Well, it must be some crazy cult thing because Arrow picked this up. Uh, Arrow Video finds a lot of really... I mean, they really loaded it up in a Criterion-level way with all the extras. This is a Spanish slasher film from 1987 directed by José Ramón Larraz, who did uh, Vampire and Symptoms. Ooh, Vampire. I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, you know, uh, he's he's done a lot of uh, slashy, hacky, uh, exploitationy stuff. I mean, it's a it's a slasher film. It's not any better or worse than anything else from the '80s. It's up there, you know, Friday the Thirteenth and uh, and all the Halloween films. It's sort of in that same place. Um, it's funny because it's supposed to take place in California, but they shot it in Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of stucco, stucco. So it, uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't like look like Madrid, but it also doesn't look like California. So, not that that matters, but uh, so it's basically about a guy, you know, uh, who runs around at night with an axe and uh, and kills people, and that's it. And uh, they've got to try to figure out who he is and stop him and all the, all the rest of it. Um, the best part of this actually is the uh, audio commentary that they have with The Hysteria Continues, which is a podcast I was not familiar with, but mm. it's a podcast about uh, basically underrated uh, gore films, uh, of slasher films, horror films, and uh, it's really good. Uh, it's really good. It makes me want to listen to more of their, of their podcast. Uh, there are interviews with you know actors. There's commentary with Brian Fox and, a, and an interview with Brian Fox, the main actor in the thing. Um, the, uh, a, there's an interview with the, um, the makeup effects guy, which is actually quite interesting as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on here and, uh, the movie is Edge of the Axe with this fantastic tagline. Here I go, my best tagline voice. There is nothing silent about nights in Paddock County. <laughs> what does that even I mean? Even <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, is, that, is this even a Christmas movie? No, yeah, I just it, got, thought there might be. No, never mind. It's just I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't get it. No. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's just the worst tagline ever. Makes me laugh because that that's not even a tagline. That's like no. something. That's like something you would just say to somebody in passing. It's like you know what, Bob? There is absolutely nothing silent about nights in Paddock County. It's just a loud place. It's not a. It's not a tagline. Particularly <laughs> like apropos of nothing. Yeah. Uh, uh, Woody Allen's uh, biography, his memoir, speaking apropos of nothing. Oh, indeed. Coming out, coming indeed. out in uh, a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. So I've already pre-ordered it. Go for it, Woody. And uh, there, are, you know, people protesting and whatnot. Oh, and for God's sake! Stop. Yeah, seriously. 
Uh, what else do we have in the uh, on the cult realm? We have, <laughs> we have Hail Mary! Exclamation point. Um, this is just the strangest thing in the world. Uh, here's a tagline. Get ready for the sumo bowl. Uh, they call this a family football comedy, and it stars Eddie Mecca, and I have no idea who he is. I just read you everything that is on the cover <laughs> of the box. So the idea here is uh, this is a silly exploitation comedy, and uh, it, it played a bunch of festivals I've never heard of, and it's actually kind of funny in a really cheap, weird, lame kind of trauma way, like in a Sergeant Kabuki Man kind of way. Uh. So the idea here is that you have a football team where the quarterback can't get anything done because it's just his line, his his offensive line sucks. Mm. So they replace it with sumo wrestlers. <laughs> you know what? In uh, 1997, that would have been a Keanu Reeves movie. Right. Uh, or maybe Scott Bakula. Oh, my gosh. It's the craziest thing ever. And it is kind of funny. Yes. I mean, it's it the, it wouldn't be as funny if it had an A-list budget. No. But because they made it for like $19, it's kind of funny. Yeah, well, they had to feed those sumo wrestlers. Uh, and then we have uh, uh, V-I-Y. This is really creepy. Like, really creepy. Uh, I'd like to laugh at this, but I can't. Mm. Uh, it's based on a novella by Nikolai Gogol, the famous Nikolai Gogol. And it was made uh, previously. There was a movie, a Mario Bava movie called Black Sunday. Oh, yeah. So um, th- this is from 1967. And it is it is significant because that's a, it's a Russian film. So it was a horror film made in Russia at a time when horror films were completely discouraged, and uh, the hence why it was, it's based on Gogol because Gogol is kind of a significant figure in Russian literature. So there was some legitimacy to this and being able to to make it. And um, it's sort of like Der Gollum if you're familiar with the mm. the Hebrew the Euro, the European German Hebrew. Um, story of Der Gollum, which is one of the earliest horror films in the silent area. Mm-hmm. It has a slight quality of that as well. And uh, it takes place in the 19th century in Russia, where you've got a, um, a, a, a this young student who has to sleep uh, three nights, spend three nights with the, the corpse of a witch. And from there, it gets really super bizarre and creepy. And I won't tell you what happens, because there are it's sort of like every fi- about every 15 minutes, and this thing's only 17 mi- 77 minutes long, about every 15 minutes, something happens that you would never expect, and it's totally rational within the context of the story. And so at 77 minutes, it's a real roller coaster ride. It's a really interesting, fascinating film. This is from Severin. Um, a lot of really interesting extras on here. Uh, Richard Stanley, who we talked about last week because he yeah. has that new whack up, whacked out no, that, movie. That, that uh, Nick Cage thing. Yeah. Uh, Richard Stanley does an interview on here, which, as if you know from my uh, story about Richard Stanley last week, Richard Stanley is like a scholar of all things from the occult. And his interview here is really interesting. He gives a context to this thing that is fascinating, the, the whole idea of VIY and what VIY is. And, uh, and I won't tell you. And then um, they've got Jonathan uh, John Lehman Riley on the history of fantasy and sci-fi in the Soviet Union, and uh, some uh, some interesting short silence that are fine, and then a trailer. But uh, it is VIY. It's definitely worth checking out. One of the most interesting uh, horror films of the '60s, 
because it comes from the Soviet Union. It's not American exploitation. It's not a slasher film. It's not, you know, uh, Jap exploitation or Oz exploitation or Giallo or uh, whatever they call it in Spain. Mm. Uh, it's none of that. It's from the same era, but it's totally unique. Quite interesting. All right. And, uh, okay. We now, I'm going to go through these real quickly. The, the uh, Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection has just gone off the rails. Ah. They, they, that, you have to understand, Nikatsu made just more movies than anybody has any business even understanding. It's a ton. And so we have uh, volumes 34 through 40. Uh, that's a total of seven volumes, 30, 34 through 40, seven new volumes from the Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection. Some are softer than others. Some are uh, angrier and more exploitive than others. Um, they're all kind of in the same place, which is that they are emulating things that go on in the United States, in the exploitation world of the United States around the same time uh, from the 60s through the 80s is sort of that golden exploitation period when Nikatsu was doing a lot of this stuff. And uh, this is primarily 80s era stuff. So, if you know... It, it's it's right in that pocket, kind of a, a little bit maybe more what was going on in the U.S. in the 70s. We have Zoom Up, Graduation Photo, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, so this is, uh, you know, pretty straight-up softcore uh, Japanese stuff. Then we have Nurse Girl's Dorm, Shamed Angel. That's just twisted beyond all belief. Uh, it's it's like hospital. It's It's hospital horror. That's the only way to do it. Uh, Nun's Diary Confession. Now, that's you have to understand the the whole concept of of nuns and um, uh, Catholic imagery in um, in Japan has a really interesting cultural history. Uh, this is from 1978, and uh, it's sort of in the same vein as the other the nun story uh, Japanese exploitation stuff. Um, as is Women in Prison, which is just a straight-up 1978 uh, variation on what Jonathan Demme was doing for, for Roger Corman. Um, it's ex pretty much exactly the same. Not quite as, uh, as rough and violent, but kind of in the same thing. And then uh, you have some, some from 1988, uh, Woman in a Box 2 is a sequel to Woman in a Box, and uh, it's pretty much more of the same. It's kind of like Saw. yeah. Uh, Tokyo Caligula. It's not Caligula. It's not even close. It's just, it's just, it is from 1981. They just grabbed that title because it's, uh, it's, it's really not, it's not very good, but it's, uh, it's, it's meant to be a little bit shocking. It's kind of a, you know, exploited wife thing. And then lastly, uh, the, the funniest of them all, which is truly hilarious, even if you don't necessarily like this kind of stuff, there's some, there's some humor in this true story of a woman in Soapland. Tear. It's a true story of a woman in Soapland, colon, tear, exclamation point. I don't know why that title makes me laugh. But um, so this, the, the, you have to understand what, what Soapland is. And um, it, 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 there's a, there's a gosh, the Japanese, and they're just weird fetish industries. Um, it's... It has to do with bathing. That's all I can tell you. It's bathing and soap, and it's weird and fetishistic, and it's just uniquely Japanese because they do weird stuff. So anyway, if you're into this junk, 
Uh, I'm sorry. If you're into these films, <laughs> the, the Nikatsu Erotic Films Collection, there are hundreds of these things. This is volume 34 through 40. Just too funny. All right. Finishing up here, uh, we have got three from Mondo Macabro. And let me pull those out here. Uh, three from Mondo Macabro, which always comes up with some uh, some interesting stuff. Uh, the first one is, and remember, we've mentioned before, there's no copyright on Emmanuel. Emmanuel, no. yeah. you could, if the Emmanuel films came out and everyone quickly figured, hey, I could just spell it with two M's or mm-hmm. one L or two L's and one M mm-hmm. or with an E at the end or no E, and it's a different name, and I can totally trade on the whole Emmanuel phenomenon. Make yourself That's an Emmanuel film. Go nuts. So this one is Emmanuel in America. This is Emmanuel with one M, <laughs> two L's, mm. and an E at the end, just so you understand that. Uh, Bizarre, a publication I've never heard of, called this one of the most notorious exploitation movies ever made. And I am going to call that publication BS. <laughs> this is not, <laughs> this is not uh, that notorious. No. Um, but it's in the it's in the pockets from 1977. It's a it's a Joe D'Amato film from Italy. Uh, the Emmanuel films were, of course, French originally. So the Italians looked at that and thought, "Hey, we got to get on that." And uh, it stars uh, Laura Gemser, who um, played Emmanuel in several of these films. I guess at some point, um, you know what? It's just she's it's erotic photography and uh, all the usual stuff with men. It's nothing nothing particularly great, but if you're a completist, you're gonna love it. Uh, Dangerous Cargo is actually a much better film than I expected it to be. Uh, Dangerous Cargo is from the Greek collection. This is volume four of the Greek collection from Mondo Macabro, um, directed by Costas. Karagiannis, who uh, did a lot of exploitation stuff in the 1970s. This was made in 1977. And I didn't realize just how rich and deep the Greek exploitation industry was. Wow. It was in the 1970s. There was a lot of it. Mm. Uh, for some strange reason, the Greek film industry has always always been primarily associated with art films. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in this case, no. They, they, uh, they went and got some American actors. In this case, they went and got Deborah Shelton who was a former Miss uh, USA mm-hmm. and obviously had no self-respect at this point in 1977 because uh, it's just, it, all of it, all this is, is a, it was shot on a ship. It looks like it was shot on a ship. And um, they try to do the, um, they, they try to do the uh, wages of fear thing, like the ship has nitroglycerin on it. Yeah. So how can we, how can we have sex parties on a ship with nitroglycerin? <laughs> No. Quietly, I don't know. It's 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 just really dangerous. It's dangerous because if you rock it too much, the ship might explode. Mm. <laughs> it's the mm. dumbest idea in the world. Um, <laughs> the beast and the magic sword. Oh my gosh! Uh, the beast and the magic sword is a Spanish Japanese co-production from 1983, directed by Jacinto Molina. I don't know how you wind up with a Japanese-Spanish co-production. I didn't know that was possible. But somehow they did this, and they went and shot it in Toshiro Mifune's studios. And uh, it, it's so bizarre. Um, 
the the uh, this is the very last film that Paul Nashi would ever be in, mm. apparently from 1983. Paul Nashi, big exploitation figure. Yeah, and um, it it's like this weird combination of Japanese swordplay, fantasy, and Spanish exploitation that is just totally bizarre. It's really really strange. Um, it's a it's a primarily Japanese story until you get to the monster stuff, like the Japanese swordplay and all that is like, okay, it's like a Spanish director doing all, trying to do like a Japanese period film. And like, why do we suddenly have monsters? It mm. doesn't, like, it's just weird. Um, but anyway, you know, it's got, uh, it's got an interview with Paul Nashi in it and uh, an audio commentary by a couple of, by, by uh, Nashi Cast, which is another podcast, two people, uh, Rod Bennett and Tony Gwynn, who do a, a thing. Anyway, it is what it is. It's uh, it's not my thing, but maybe it's somebody's. Yeah. Uh, the last few here, uh, we've got four from Severin. I'm gonna save the best stuff for last. Uh, four from Severin. Uh, the peanut butter solution, not to be confused with the what was the recent thing? The peanut butter falcon. Oh, the peanut butter falcon. Yeah, yeah this, that, is, this uh, is this is not that. Shia LaBeouf thing. Not yeah, that. this is not that. This is the peanut butter solution from 1985, uh, which is which is actually quite bizarre. This thing was a real cult thing in the 1980s for sure. I I definitely remember that, uh, and uh, it's 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 not as scary now as a lot of people thought that it was at the time. Uh, it is a um, oh gosh, how do I even describe this? It's it's not it's it's like a it's like a it's like a kid fear movie. It's one of those movies that that it, it's got creepy kids, pattern baldness. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just you got you kind of got to see it to believe it. It's just really from Mars. It's more interesting because it's got a lot of extras on it that sort of get into all of this stuff. Uh, there's uh, there's an interview with the producer and there's a commentary with uh, the producer and some of the actors. Um, and uh, the this there's a there's a featurette on here called Tales for All, um, which is about which gets into this kind of weird genre that that existed at the time, and where that sort of exploited children and fears of children and uh, you know it, that that sort of underlines what's going on here. But it's like I guess how can I explain this? Mm. It's a weird genre that is sort of like if you were to take the Goonies mm. and no, let's say Stranger Things, mm. and instead of Stranger Things actually being about the exploits of kids, but the exploitation of kids, mm. that's sort of what's going on. It's a little bit disturbing. Wow. The other seven titles here, uh, real quickly: Cries of Pleasure is a Jess Franco film, which means yeah, it's junk. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's Jess Franco. From 1982, Jess Franco made a movie about every other week, and uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 uh, this is kind of standard uh, Jess Franco uh, erotic thriller um, with you know the usual doses of depravity and violence and gore and whatnot. It's uh, you know it's 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 pretty standard Jess Franco fare. Um, we we have I another like girl from Uncle a slightly better Jess Franco film is Night of Open Sex. Because it tells you exactly what it is. Uh, it's all about uh, a, a it's an orgy film in which uh, everything goes wrong and yeah. everyone pays the price. And uh, Jess Franco's even in this, which is unusual. 
he actually shows up in this. This has some good extras on it, um, especially uh, the um, uh, interview with Steve they called Night of the Open Jess, where uh, the uh, author of Murderous Passions and Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinemas of Jesus Franco, yes. Stephen Thrower, talks all about why this is relevant. And I, I would almost uh, say he convinced me, almost. Ah. The uh, best of the uh, Severn films is Weak as the Astrologer, which is the debut film from James Glickenhaus, who would do things like Basket Case, Two and Three, Frankenhooker, Maniac Cop. Did, yeah. did a lot of you know did a lot of exploitation stuff. But his first film in 1977 was The Astrologer, uh, which is uh, which is actually a, a, it's an excuse you know it's an excuse to sort of use astrology as an entry point for all kinds of you know gore killings and whatnot. It's a it's um, but but the idea of astrology is kind of the uh, something occultish as an entree for a genre film. I'd never seen before, so uh, it's apparently based on a novel, and they did a really really good transfer of this from the original material, and it's uh, it's not it's not bad for for what it is. It's absolutely not bad. There's also an interview with the Glickenhaus on here too. Yeah, um, a movie called McBain. Yeah, 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 totally. Crazy film, yeah, yeah. Christopher Walken. Uh, uh, yeah, you got a few more. Yeah, just two more, real quickly. Uh, here are the best ones. Uh, so, Blue Underground, a Lucio Fulci film, uh, House by the Cemetery. This is a really beautiful three-disc limited edition with a, a lenticular cover, mm. uh, which is, you know, always like, ooh, we don't uh, get I these wish anymore. Mark, I wish Mark were here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Blue Underground did a really great job with this. Tons of extras. Great Blu-ray extras on here, especially. The film is on uh, the first disc, which includes an audio commentary with Troy Howarth, who wrote the Lucio Fulci book. And then all the extras are on the second disc, which is also Blu-ray. Interviews with everybody involved. They went to town. They found everyone, including the cinematographer and the actors and everybody, the effects artists. Um, it's really impressive. And then um, there's also a third disc, which is the CD of the original soundtrack by Walter Rosati. So it's great. There's a booklet. I mean, it's really, really, really nice set. Now, I'm not a huge Lucio Fulci fan, but if I have to pick one of the Giallo guys, I'm probably going to go with Fulci because he sort of doesn't care. He just says, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to go for broke. And uh, the idea here is that you've, uh, you, you have a, a really stupid family who are really doing well in New York City, and they think, you know what? We want more space, so let's go to New England where all the horror <laughs> films happen because people who go to houses in New England always die. And that's true. Uh, so they, 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 they go, they move, of course, into a house that was, you know, previously an experiment dungeon and has all kinds of horror going on and still there. And anyway, it is what it is. It's a, it's a gore film and a haunted house film. And, uh, it's actually for what it is. It's very, very effective. And then lastly, terror firmer from Lloyd Kaufman and trauma, which is completely bananas. This is the two disc Blu-ray, uh, 20th anniversary edition, uh, and I, 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 I just can't recommend this film highly enough. It's completely bonkers, like everything trauma. Lloyd Kaufman really <laughs> knows how to go completely insane. Uh. This is this is perhaps the most surreal, off the wall film that trauma has ever made, and that is saying a lot. This is the director's cut. Ron Jeremy's in this for crying out loud. Yep. Come on. Uh, how do you how do you not give it up for that? Uh, so the. Um, it's it's just completely bananas. Don't even worry about what it's about. It is it is truly kind of the culmination of all things trauma. It's on Blu-ray. Terror firmer. The twentieth anniversary. Uh, good on you, Lloyd. We love you. You're, yeah. you're you're one of a kind. He's and he's still alive. And so, he is yeah. still alive. So I get emails go. from him every week. Yeah, that's it's hysterical. Fantastic. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. 
Shall we move on to some LGBTQ business here a bit? Do it. Uh, let's see what we got. We got some stuff from TLA. A little uh, a breaking glass, and I, if I'm not mistaken, there's a first one feature in here someplace too, including this really wonderful Swedish animated film called Top Three. It's, it's wonderful, like flat digital an- animation that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's only a 45 minute movie. It's about this guy named Anton, and he's a list maker. He always he's always making his list of top three. Uh, and, 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 and he sort of guides and shapes his whole life, life by these top three lists. He's in love with this guy. This, the, the guy he's in love with, of course, is not a list maker at all and completely different from him. The whole movie is just about how you manage to uh, work your way through a relationship where you're very, very, very different. This is funny. This is a funny one that he has. He makes a list where he says, let's see, let's see. Uh, let's see. Uh, by the way, he's top three list, and he says, uh, top three idiots he hates the most. <laughs> Number nice. one, number one, the prime minister. <laughs> number two, me, meaning himself, which I think is kind of nice. If you, you know, idiots, you hate the most. Put yourself yeah. on the list. Uh, and uh, and number three uh, is his boyfriend David. Anyway, it's a really, really funny and sweet film that sort of explores relationships in that way. There's also another little short film on on it called Halloween Trick. Um, uh, it's also a perfectly lovely. Uh, a little movie. That one's a live action film about these guys who go to this Halloween party. But the animated film, the forty-five minute animated film, is really the uh, the lovely thing. Is from Sophie at Vardenson, huh. uh, and uh, she's just doing wonderful work here in this little bitty movie. Top three. Then we've got Kill the Monsters. Uh, this is the one from Breaking Glass. Uh, kind of a lovely film, black and white. Reminded me of a Jim Jarmusch film. Uh, with a sort of gay theme insinuated into it. These three guys, they're buddies. One of them gets sick, uh, sort of oddly ill, and they can't figure out what's going on with them, so they decide to take a road trip across the country uh, to go to this sort of holistic medical center uh, in order to get him uh, checked out and see what's going on. And as they take this trip, they're sort of wandering through the history of America and, and, and juxtaposing themselves as three gay men to the history of the places where they go. Uh, and the things that happened there and, and the way things were there at any given moment in time, uh, including uh, through down south uh, where they sort of explore the uh, the Civil War period. It, you know, it's, it's a really sort of interesting movie. Uh, black and white special features include an interview with the cast. Um, and, you know, again, sort of think of Jim Jarmusch in the uh, middle 80s, you know, when he was making... That, was, that was when he was making his best stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, kind of you know, really, really neat stuff there. An, an American allegory. Uh, Kill the Monsters, an American allegory. Uh, and then we have this uh, Mexican film, a rather um, um, uh, a poignant Mexican film called Bittersweet. It's about this young man uh, uh, who's gay, but he's the only man in his family. He has his mother, he has his grandmother, and he's trying really hard to be the sort of uh, macho man that they want him to be as the quote-unquote man of the family uh, as he's taking care of things. Indeed, he is, in fact, in love with this fella. Um, uh, who himself has a fiance, you know, so so there's this sort of complicated thing uh, going on in his life and these relationships, and it's just it's all about his struggle to actually be himself. And of course, uh, as happens in these movies, uh, his secret sort of trickles out, and everyone sort of begins to realize what's going on. Look, it has uh, alludes to uh, Brokeback Mountain, you know, uh, ideas that are sort of in that movie about choosing to be who you are. Set in rural Mexico, in the rural Mexican countryside, which is absolutely beautiful, and of course gives it a completely sort of different uh, patina uh, being set in Mexico, where the culture is uh, even more machoistic than the culture here is here in America proper. So, you know, uh, an interesting sort of 
set of themes to look at just from that particular point of view um, alone in Spanish uh, with English subtitles there. And we have a lovely documentary uh, called In Full Bloom that's kind of a complicated documentary realistic thing that's going on here. All right, so you have this is all, this is about a whole bunch of transgender people and one gay one gay uh, 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 a man and several transgender people. And this is a doc. Now the doc is about oh. them as they're making a play. Oh, so, so very often we're on stage with them in this play, and then we're behind the scenes with them behind the curtain as they're, you know, doing all the things that they do to sort of prepare for this play. And then, of course, there are the sit-down interviews with all of them. So you have, you know, several layers of things going on here. The way it's informative is like this: um, it, it, as we watch the play that they're making, which is a which is a play that's not particularly straight or gay, uh, we're able to sort of see the way they shape themselves to put themselves inside these characters and how much of themselves they bring to that when we're sort of behind the scenes, looking at it from behind the curtain. It, it's a, it's a really sort of neat look behind the curtain of what it means to you know be a gay, a, well to be a transgender person, to be specific one gay person in the movie, uh, and uh, and what that means particularly when you're trying to be a performing artist. It's neat stuff, directed by a guy named Michael Brewer, whose work I do not particularly know. Uh, got a movie here. This one is another one from TLA um, uh, called Orpheus's Song. This is a pretty straightforward uh, movie. A couple of couple of buddies. Uh, the the, 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 uh, yeah, the, the Mexican is. truck is going yeah. by right now. Uh, uh, a couple of brothers, a couple of guys, who are uh, into into their bodies, into the gym, into all that kind of stuff. One of them is straight. The other one is gay. They decide to go to Greece uh, to hang out together. They meet this other guy while they're on this trip. Uh, to Greece, and uh, and they have all kinds of wacky adventures together, including one wacky evening in a cave, which is transformative for the quote-unquote straight guy uh, in the movie. The one thing I like about these movies, they're really, really short. This thing is only 72 minutes long. It's in German with English subtitles, and it's it actually is pretty much fun, uh, a pretty good deal of, of fun. And then we have one more from TLA, Leave It to Levi. Uh, the, the, the thing about this movie is this this film contains a whole lot of explicit sex, so you got to be into that if you're going there. This is also a documentary, by the way, and simply about a guy um, who grows up in his sort of little ordinary life, uh, the, the size he doesn't want to live that way. He goes off to New York uh, where he becomes a sort of a, a gay model, gay porn model, just oh, a model. Great. Now, this is what's interesting. This guy is living a life in New York as a gay porn model, but he decides he needs a secret life. No. Now he's already a gay porn <laughs> model, but but he's gonna go get himself a secret life, <laughs> and a second career as a drag queen called Sassafras. Okay, that's just completely from Mars. I that's just so what bonkers. the I'm like, dude, you're a gay porn model. I don't think you need another secret existence. Uh, you know, I think we're you know now now we're, that's a bit much. Anyway, it's wacky as hell. A lot of fun. It is a doc. Um, and 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 it, actually, this guy cracks me up. He's hysterically funny. So for that alone, leave it to Levi. A film by Jake Jackson. That one contains a lot of explicit sex. I know it because they put it right on the cover of the DVD, right here yeah. at the bottom. Warning contains explicit sex. <laughs> Where, are right. Where are we going? Where are we going? So we have got uh, we got a bunch of uh, we got a bunch of films to talk about this week from uh, new films that are that were part of the uh, the whole. Uh, big award season onslaught last year. Some did a little better than others, and for reasons that I may not still understand, 
So I'm going to get it started with what I think was the most underrated film of the awards season, Dark Waters. Got no love from anybody. Got no awards. Got no Oscar nominations. Nothing. And it's weird because it's completely in that in that um, that that uh, Aaron Brockovich pocket that would normally be considered Oscar bait. And everybody in it, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo, who's stars and produced it, and Anne Hathaway, and Tim Robbins plays a heavy, and Bill Pullman's in it. Oh, t- 10, 15 years ago, this is what? This would have been Inside Man. This would have been... Yeah, uh, this, w- this would have been uh, the, the Insider. The Insider. The Insider. That's, one of the, yeah, that's, that's, that's what thinking. I was actually thinking of, The yeah. Insider. The Insider, Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. It's, it's one of those films. Yeah. And uh, directed by Todd Haynes, by the way, who, you know, Todd Haynes usually does very sort of stylistically aggressive films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Far From Heaven, and, and you know, you can, we could go on and on and on. Uh, but uh, here, he really dials it back. Mm. He realizes he's making a particular kind of film. It's mm-hmm. like, a, like a man against the corporation film, man against the, you know, environmental abuse film. The motivated attorney film, mm-hmm. which which you know we could we could say the same thing with Just Mercy, which mm-hmm. is about an attorney fighting the system yeah. to free a man from death row. This is a similar kind of motivated attorney thing. We mm. get these a lot. Yeah. And in this one, Mark Ruffalo goes toe to toe. This is a true story. Yeah. Goes toe to toe with Dupont. This is the story of Teflon. Yeah. People don't realize that the production of Teflon was was uh, created an enormous amount of environmental damage oh. and and it wiped out. It killed people. Oh yeah. It was, hey, uh, let me talk about Teflon. Now, yeah. you're, that that so that movie. Yeah. And there's this wonderful documentary in space. And I think that was based on what is that based on? Is that oh, based on, uh, it, it is. It is based on something. <laughs> uh, is it the book? I think it's based on a book. Yeah, I believe it is. So, 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 so Teflon is in your blood right now. Yeah. There is not a human being on Earth. Whom, for whom Teflon is not in your blood, or not, to some extent or another. That's how deeply this artificial yeah. has permeated it. it. It's it's astounding to me. It's and you're still right. In and you're, yeah, it's it right now. And yeah. and uh, and uh, you know and uh, and people don't know. People yep. don't know. It's just crazy. Yeah. So anyway, this is a story about multi-year effort for, to 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 get to the bottom of what was going on with Dupont and Teflon and all that. It is a great film. Todd Haynes dials it back, no over-stylization. He lets his actors do the acting. It's a terrific script. It's just a really solid movie. It's a solid meat and potatoes good movie that's just put together in a perfect way. And I'm, it saddens me that it didn't get any love uh, during the award season because Dark Waters is a really, really good movie. And you would think Mark Ruffalo being, you know, mm. very, very liberal activist, that this thing would wear its politics on its sleeve. It does not. Mm. It does not. This is not like a right-wing movie or a left-wing movie. It's not. It's this happened. This was wrong. Mm -hmm. Everyone agrees that that was the case. And it does it. And the other thing is, Mark Ruffalo plays a character here who is devoutly religious as well. Mm-hmm. And that that isn't they don't shy from that. Hollywood yeah. movies will typically go With, like, without mm. becoming a without becoming a faith based no. film. It doesn't. No. It's not that in any way, shape, or not form. That but at all. but but the, but the fact of it is in the movie. Yeah, it's in the movie. It it sort of it is a really well rounded meat and potatoes movie. And I I tip my hat to everybody involved. Really really solid. Uh, in New York Times, based on New York Times article. New York Times article. That's okay. what it was based yeah. on. New York Times article. Anyway, Dark Waters is the film. It is terrific. It's Blu-ray and DVD with Movies Anywhere on it, so you can add it to your Movies Anywhere locker and uh, have a lot of fun. Tim, next one. A couple of new ones, including Queen and Slim. Uh, Interesting, this movie, Queen and Slim. Uh, I reviewed it for the show. Uh, And, you know, the the movie opened. It did okay. My review of it on the show 
which was spot on. When I when yeah. I finally wound up watching it, it just, I had these hopes that it was going to be like like Badlands with a black couple. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And it it just didn't. No, it doesn't gel the way. It has some moments that are very sort of interesting. There's a, but the, the 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 motivating thing of the film. Right, so yeah. we, we have this young uh, black couple. They go on this date. It's the first time they've ever met. Yeah. You know, it's a blind date yeah. or a Tinder date or whatever they, they do nowadays, and it's going horribly. Uh, on the way home, they get pulled over by this cop. Now, there's a whole set of a series of things that happen. Very specific things. Why they get pulled over. Their interactions with the police officer who pulls them over. And as you can see in the trailers uh, that run for the film, uh, the, the cop ends up being shot and killed. And these two go on the heel and toe. Take it on the heel and toe. Now, for me as I watch everything that happens here and the cop gets shot when she says to him we have to run the one thing I know is I'm not going anywhere <laughs> sister uh, you know I don't know if you've been paying attention or not to what just went down here but there's no reason for us to go anywhere we know we're good I'm, I'm good I know I'm good and, and not to mention, and then all of these things sort of happen to go on the run. And the, and the road trip, there's an interesting, funny sort of road trip thing that yeah. happens here. The people they meet as they travel yeah. down there. Bokeem Woodbine sure, is a pimp down there in Louisiana. And, and, and Chloe Sivigny and all these sort of folks. And, uh, but, but the film itself did not do a very interesting thing happen with uh, uh, black, African-American, black film critics vis-a-vis -vis this movie. We got kind of beat up. By, by for not loving it enough? For not loving this movie enough, right? So like the black Twitterverse yeah. kind of came after us. How could you as a black film critic say something not, you know? Yeah. And again, it's not like I beat up on this movie. You know, it's a fun movie. Yeah. But it wasn't the film that that we had we anticipated, wanted. you know. Yeah, I think you don't. I don't think you do films any favors by yeah. uh, lavishing them with praise they haven't earned. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly a film critic, your yeah. your your audience will 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 yeah. see that movie eventually and know you're full of crap. Yeah. Anyway, all kinds of great stuff uh, on this in terms of special it's 4K. features, four K bonus features all over the place. A perfectly good movie to watch. It just didn't turn out to be Bonnie and Clyde or Thelma and Louise. Uh, as possibly predicted. Now, this movie here, Uncut Gems, yeah. which I know that I liked more than you. Yeah. But 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 in terms of an appreciation of what these Safdie brothers do, uh, the Safdie brothers have managed to pull off uh, something that other filmmakers don't can't quite do. They 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 make films, frankly, with irritating characters. Uh, in irritating circumstances and in, ir in irritating dynamics, yet the films themselves kind of work. Adam Sandler doing some of his best work as an actor in this film, not recognized this past award season uh, by, 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 the, by, by the Academy, certainly, but not by many groups at all. This yep. film not recognized. Um, and, and that's a shame so far as I am concerned. It's a film about this guy. He's a... Uh, a jewelry broker and in, uh, in, in, in New York, and he's 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 just this lying, conniving, <laughs> cheating, uh, manipulative with guy. the messiest private life oh, you've he's, ever he's seen. The girlfriend and the wife and the kids, and he's got this thing, this opal. Yeah. The, I think it's an opal. It's in an yeah, opal. I think so. And, uh, and, and, and this whole kind of thing. And Kevin Garnett's going to buy the opal, and there's an auction. It's a 2012 uh, NBA Finals. He, and one of the things this film pulls off is you know how that game ends. Yeah, I did at least. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, basketball people, yeah. anybody. Can look it up you know how the game ends yet yet i mean i knew and yeah. yet the denouement of this film hinges on how that game ends yeah and it, and they actually pull that off yeah they even do, they me do. there sitting there knowing fully how that game ends they still had me on the edge of my seat there uh so good in the in that way and uh i don't know man i i, I like it more than you, you i mean your well assessment. for me it's like it was like a really neurotic new york jewel industry version of the treasure of the sierra madre 
or anything like unto it. And, mm. I, and I knew how, within five minutes, I knew where this movie was going and how it was going to end, and it did. And uh, I don't like how the Safties just try to make me really anxious by never putting a camera on a tripod. And <laughs> oh, they it. keep it moving, don't they? They keep and, it moving. And shall we mention that score? And that score drove me crazy. It, it's some sort of a it was electronic like having a bug. urban bang clash and smash thing. It was like having a bug in my brain. It was so upsetting. I just I couldn't I couldn't get past it. I couldn't get past it. I, I get why people love his performance, but I think he's he's given better performances. Uh, like ran over me. I think uh, it's a better performance. I, I, but a movie that both of us love. Yeah. Um, um, uh, special features, uh, you know, the making of kind of thing on here. Uh, you know, other than that, so interesting movie. Interesting movie. Um, all right, and then uh, I got a few here, starting with Bombshell, which everybody thought, ooh, the, mm, man. We're, we're getting, no, no, it, no, no, absolutely not. We, we talked about Russell Crowe playing uh, uh, Roger Ailes. Ro- Roger Ailes on television, much better than what John Lithgow does here with a whole lot of jowl makeup on, not very good at all. All Ro- kinds of problems with that movie, uh, uh, narratively as well. Yeah. The, the, the good thing about it is Charlize. Char- Charlize. So, so, you know, here's the thing. Charlize Theron deservedly uh, got an Oscar nomination. No, she didn't get an Oscar nomination. The makeup got an Oscar nomination. Margot Robbie got an Oscar nomination specifically. Charlize did not, but the makeup won an Oscar. And deservedly, it's amazing. But her performance is particularly amazing. She she acts through that makeup, and she nails Megyn Kelly. You would swear she is Megyn Kelly. Through most of this movie, you you think, wow, Megyn Kelly's playing herself. No, 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 no it's Charlize. It's just, mm. it's amazing. It really is amazing. She gets everything right. The, the, the face, the, the body language, the voice especially is just creepy how well she does. It's a great performance. The downside of that is that she is so good that you realize everyone else in this movie is terrible. Yeah. Uh, John Lithgow walking around in that fat suit, being 100% John Lithgow in a fat suit. And Margot Robbie plays a character who doesn't even exist. Doesn't even exist. And and, and there we go to this narrative thing that I really have a hard time with. There is a moment in this movie where they have have Roger Ailes do this particularly uh, humiliating and denigrating thing to this character. Now, the inference here (laughs) is that Roger Ailes uh, did that to somebody. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, but the thing of it is, the one person we know he didn't do it to is that character yeah. because she doesn't exist. Exactly. So now we're, we've assigned to Roger Ailes, a guy who is a pig and repugnant to me, by the way. Let me just yeah. say that off the top. But we've assigned to him a made-up moment. Yeah. When it, this is unnecessary, he did plenty of piggy things See? that people will testify to. Yep. So do not assign to him a made-up moment. You diminish it all. When you do that, this is what I think. And I and, and Nicole Kidman is not at her best here either. It just it, the whole thing, you know. And then and then suddenly some guy walks in with like a, a pasted on Groucho mustache, and you're like, "Who's that?" Hi, I'm Geraldo. You're like, "Oh, oh I'm so yeah, checked out." Yeah. Like you're now you're not even trying. Yeah, you're yeah. not even trying. And, that, and that's the other thing. This <laughs> film tries to have it both ways. This film wants to be funny. It is funny. Very often funny. It opens funny. It's totally uh, a little awkward. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you know, but you can't, you can't, you know what? We can't do Me Too and uh, Time's Up and yeah. uh, all of that and funny. That Roger Ailes piece on television was not funny. No. Well, here's the thing. It, it has a seven-part documentary on here about the making of the film that's really good. Mm. And at the end of it, you go, why isn't the movie better? Mm. Yeah. It's yeah, weird. Unfortunately. Uh Three others here I'm going to make quick mention of. Inherit the Viper. Oh, this is so sad. It's not terrible, but you you go, why are Bruce Dern and Josh Hartnett in this movie? 
Josh Hartnett used to be like a star, mm. you know? Like, mm. what's what's he doing now? He's making foreign films, and he's showing up in Japanese movies as English instructors. He's doing all kinds of very strange things. Anyway, uh, this is a this is a, a like a rural drama that's meant to sort of address the opioid crisis, and um, you know, it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't really go there. It's just a it's just a family drama, and, and like a and a, and a it goes into a very dark place, and it's you know, thirty years ago, this would have been a movie about bootleggers. Mm. Today, it's about people who who deal drugs. It's not very good. Uh, it's very familiar. It's competently made. Um, it's a pretty decent cast, but otherwise um, unremarkable. The Gallows Act Two. Uh, if you caught the Gallows, the first one, eh, you'll probably totally love this. Otherwise, I would say go and look at the first Gallows, which is a pretty decent supernatural horror film. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it deals with the Hangman, who is this this uh, this this deadly spirit who you know kills people. Uh, and (laughs) right. I mean, well, yeah, no, it couldn't be more accurate. I mean, it's what it is, but, um, and, and what's a little bit silly about this is that it tries to sort of be, um, J horror at the same time. Like the, the roots of the whole, uh, gallows concept are very much drawn from the ring and the grudge and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's, uh, that, that part doesn't really work, but some of the scares are, are legit and the, the cast is good and, uh, you know, it continues the, uh, it continues the story, uh, the tagline, evil chooses you. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is it evil chooses you or is it evil chooses you? I don't know which way to read that. I think they'll, I think all those work, baby. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, and then the last one I got here is imprisoned. With uh, Lawrence Fishburne as a warden who's really, really got it in for uh, for a guy who's trying to sort of rebuild his life after uh, being uh, released from prison, and um, it, 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 this is interesting. This is a Cinema Libre release. It's a little unusual for Cinema Libre. They don't usually release films like this, but um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne elevates this because he takes this this warden character who would otherwise be very, very one dimensional and really kind of gives him some additional cachet, and that I appreciate. That makes up for some of the uh, the weaknesses in the script. Otherwise, very, very good cast. Uh, Isa Morales is in this. Um, Edward James almost shows up. Uh, it was shot in Puerto Rico before Hurricane Maria, and that doesn't really necessarily translate into anything. It's just a little bit of trivia. It's an interesting thing. But um, uh, not, a, not a bad little indie. Probably should have had some kind of a decent theatrical release. Did not have one. John Hurd is in this, too, I should say. So, uh, anyway, Imprisoned is the film, and the the star of the film, the actual star, is Juan Pablo Raba, but nobody's going to go see a movie about with Juan Pablo Raba, so they loaded up with Fishburne and Isai Morales and John Hurd and Olmos, and it winds up being pretty decent. Uh, got a few here? Yeah. Uh, that we can knock off, including this post-Civil War cowboy movie called The Warrant, uh, with uh, Annabeth Gish, who used to be on the X Files, and Stephen R. McQueen, uh, no relation, and uh, the, yeah, the, the wonderful Neil Madonna, who I who I absolutely love. This is a this is a film about this guy who hooks up with his son, uh, and they decide that they have to go after uh, one of their compatriots uh, from when they were f- back in the war. Uh, what they find out is that that guy is the leader of a gang now uh, that's pretty vicious, and they're these town folks who've already band together to protect themselves both against uh, that guy and a whole bunch of other people who mean to do them some harm. It's a pretty decent shoot 'em up. 
uh, set during the, the period of the Civil War. I love that it sh- sort of shot all across down south. It really, really sort of looks great and kind of like the period. Uh, special features include some behind-the-scenes cast interviews with uh, Neil McDonough, Neil McDonough and Stephen R. McQueen and Annabeth and Gregory Cruz. Casper Van Dien. Oh, Casper. Uh, also in the film. I love Casper. Uh, Starship Troopers way back in the day, way back in the day. I See You, great cast in this movie. Helen Hunt, John Tenney, uh, and, and uh, a, guy, a kid named Judah Lewis. Helen Hunt, the wonderful Oscar winner uh, in this movie. So we have a film about this guy who, with his wife, moved to the small town where he's a police investigator. A young boy has gone missing. He's investigating um, the, the, this, what seems like a crime, at least the missing, uh, the fact that this boy has gone missing. Meanwhile, he and his wife are living in this house uh, where there seems to be this odd presence uh, that eventually seems to insinuate itself into their son's body. And it probably... I hate it when that happens. It's, it's always a burn. We just got over that. It's always a burn. Always a burn. Uh, it it kind of sounds like the coronavirus, actually. But, 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 but that, that happens. You look, man, it's, it's, it's an odd sort of thing what happens to people. 10, 15, I don't know, even 20 years ago, Helen Hunt was a major television star and a major movie star and an Oscar winner. Yep. Uh, and now, and now she's making Buck ninety five uh, thrillers. Not, not bad thrillers. This, this one's actually pretty good, uh, but still a Buck ninety five thriller. Um, uh, I, Hollywood is a hell of a thing. <laughs> that it is. Hollywood is a hell of a thing. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Emily Beecham and Ben Whishaw in this movie called Little Joe. Again, um, um, uh, these little movies are the oddest things in the world. This is more or less Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. that, that, that's all Emily she's just this, this, this single mother she's a plant breeder she's growing this crazy uh, new species that she developed you know, what does it become man-eating plant it becomes man-eating plant uh, so you know neat, neat if you're into that kind of thing special features include uh, interviews with Emily Beecham and the director Jessica Halsner it's kind of a psychological melodrama the question is whether or not any of these things are actually happening but you have to watch the movie to figure it out uh, I so we'll do some TV in a moment. I'm you know I'm gonna uh, I was gonna discover this stuff last week. I'm gonna blow through the kid vid right now just because I feel like it and we're spontaneous that way. So um, first off, this, this girl freaks me out from Nickelodeon. JoJo Siwa, D R E A M, the concert experience. You know I I was Lizzie McGuire. That's fine. I I was into Lizzie McGuire. I you know I enjoyed that. As I get older, I I understand these things far less. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, certainly Britney Spears, way into Britney back in the day. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, but but Lizzie McGuire, totally. Now now they're doing an adult Lizzie McGuire show. Not sure I really want to see that. Mm. Um, and then uh, after that, Hannah Montana. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that was okay. It yeah. was kind of stupid, but yeah. whatever. You know, I, I kind of got it. I like the way it played into to the existence of Miley as a pop yeah. star in the first place. Yeah. That was fun. And her but dad jo- was on the show. I love that. But JoJo Siwa, I I, I don't get it. This is like a like a teenage girl who who dresses like uh like 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 Bowie did in the seventies, uh, and with the same hairstyles and um her whole weird sparkly bubblegummy unicorns and rainbows thing and her way too energetic like it's like th- this girl needs to be on medication. <laughs> I am not. I'm serious. It's a little bit scary. Um. So if your kids are into this, my daughter will never get near this. It will freak her out. It will just send her completely off the roof. But JoJo has hits, and I guess people really love it. So what do I know? <laughs> it's JoJo Siwa, D-R-E-A-M, the concert experience. 
PBS Kids, uh, Splash and Bubbles, Pole to Pole. It's, it's that fish show on PBS Kids. Uh, it's got four episodes in it. They're very educational. It's very sweet. It's kind of like the same people who do uh, uh, Dinosaur Train. And Splash and Bubbles are cute and, you know, whatever. It's like it's like Finding Dory PBS style. Mm. It is it it is what it is. Uh, Norm of the North just continues to get traction. I do not understand why. It's Dove approved. Of course it is. Uh, Norm of the North, it's, it, you know, it's a whole, it's polar bear animation. This is like the 50th of these things. Norm of the North family vacation. It's, I just, I don't get it. I don't know what the appeal is, but I guess it's slapstick and I guess some kids really, really love it. And uh, it's all about an epic journey for no real particularly good reason other than to retrieve a crown, and I don't understand the purpose of the crown. But, you know, these things have a formula. They're, they're cutish. The Wiggles are back with Party Time. Uh, this is from Kino Lorber. The Wiggles are a little older than I remember from the last time. That's okay. Uh, still, this is one of those those ensembles that you get in KidVid and uh, children's television every so often. And, and they are, they're fine. They're really good with kids and, um, it, you know, skews a little younger. My daughter's seven now, so we're not really into this stuff quite so much anymore. But you never know. Curious George, never a fan. Didn't like the books. Don't really like the animated, but whatever. I'm not, I'm not the audience here. You get free stickers in this thing. Mm. Uh, this is Curious George Royal Monkey. And uh, it's just more Curious George stuff, and you learn, and he causes mayhem, and he loves, and he hugs, and he's cute, and he's a monkey. He's a monkey, and uh, there you go. <laughs> it's whatever. He, uh, I, honestly, he just, it's, it's silly. It's nonsense. I don't get it. But uh, the stickers are great, and when you have kids, it's always great to have a sheet of stickers around yeah. because you never know where your kids will put them. Yeah. They will wind usually two or three will wind up on the bottom of your foot. You won't know where they came from, <laughs> but it's awesome. So that's the nice thing is that you get to have get that experience. The stickers. Oh, they're so good. Uh, I'll do a couple more of these, and then we'll take a break and uh, let you let you uh, weigh in docs on, some, over here, I think is what I got. on some docs. Uh, let's see. Funny Little Cars, the limited edition, Adventures in the Little Oaza. Let me just say, they straight up ripped off Disney's logo for cars in the most shameless way possible. I am shocked that this is even out. I'm I'm just amazed. I this is this is from some animation house I've never heard of, and uh, it's a straight up ripoff. It really is a flagrant uh, Disney ripoff, and I and I I'm surprised they haven't been sued. I really am. Uh, is it any good? Not particularly, but. Uh, Boy, I mean, it even has the the you know Route sixty six sign on the cover. It's they're clearly hoping that people see this and confuse it with Disney, think it's some new new Disney thing, and that they buy it. Pretty shameless. Cease and desist letter is definitely in the works. Uh, not so shameless is Cinderella and the Secret Prince. You can't copyright Cinderella, so they don't try to even confuse this one with Disney. This is from Shout Kids. And uh, it's, it's actually surprisingly good. I'm, you know, my daughter loves the Disney Cinderella, but you can do different takes on it. And this is a much different take on Cinderella, and I'm grateful for it. I think, uh, I think it's really fun, and my daughter will certainly be exposed to this, and I think she'll thoroughly enjoy it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's slightly different. Um, in this story, the prince has been turned into a mouse by a witch, and so there's a there's a whole different challenge that has to happen. But 
it it gives it's a di- slightly different Cinderella. She's got a lot of moxie and she's got a slightly different personality, and uh, it's good. So uh, good on Shout Kids, and this thing's rated PG by the way. They don't uh, they don't really talk down to kids. I kind of appreciated that too. Uh, Princess Emmy, as long as we're on a princess thing, Princess Emmy talks to horses. Princess Emmy needs needs to be put in a padded room. Ah. Uh, I'm kidding, of course. This is also from Shout Kids. Um, this is, uh, I, I guess, sort of like a... It's like if you took a second-tier Disney princess story and you crossed it with um, with Mr. Ed, maybe. Mm. Uh, it it has it doesn't really have a lot in in My Little Pony. It, it it sort of wants to be a little bit of that, but it doesn't really go as irritatingly in that direction. It's just a little girl. She's got a lot of you know. She's a princess and her, she loves her horses and she can talk to her horses. And she's got this uh, unfortunate cousin named Jizana. And um, there's a little there's a there's a little bit of an interesting innocuous challenge here, but. Anyway, it's um, you know, I'd say save this one for girls who like horses. It's not for boys. It's not even for all girls. But the horse thing is definitely a, a plus. And um, uh, let's see. I'll do. Yeah, I'll just do the. Then I'll send it back to you. Uh, Bakugan. We have another uh, Cartoon Network uh, volume of Bakugan. Thirteen episodes. This is uh, Bakugan Battle Planet. The title of this installment is Origin of this or Origin of Species. Not to be confused with the uh, Charles Darwin book, which it never would be. Uh, Bakugan is sort of like American anime, and uh, it's decent. Uh, you know, it's it's got its uh, its monsters and its sci-fi and its uh, its its galactic journeys and fights and whatnot. Feels a little bit like animated uh, Power Rangers as well, but um, you know, it skews for subteens, so uh, subteen boys primarily. So. You know, add it to the collection if you want. Go Fish uh, has some really, really good voice work on it. This is not a shameless uh, Nemo or Finding Dory ripoff. Mm. Uh, this is from Grindstone, who, as we always point out, either makes really bad action movies with Bruce Willis and Antonio Banderas or talking <laughs> animal movies. And some of those talking animal movies are uh, are animated, and this is one of them. Uh, but no, it's this is actually really, really sweet. This is about a parrot fish by the name of Alex who wants to be a superhero. And uh, the opportunity arises when there is a, a crisis in the reef. It's actually a really, really good message. It's very nicely done. Mark Hamill and uh, Ron Perlman do voices on this and are terrific. So uh, good on Grindstone. They don't do just garbage all the time. Yeah. And then I'll last here, a couple of Bernstein Bear titles. Uh, one is Bernstein Bear's Lend a Helping Hand, which is just, uh, you know, six stories of the Bernstein Bears being really wonderful and family-like and teaching you lessons about how to deal with conflict and other things. And then uh, a much more elaborate 26-episode installment of uh, the Bernstein Bears Treehouse Tales, Volume 2, which is, just goes on forever. Uh, this is like if you just want to get something done at the house and you want the kids to just stare at the TV and <laughs> watch Bernstein Bears for five hours so you don't have to do anything. Uh, that's what this is. This is like a digital babysitter. But uh, t- I'll say 26 episodes, too much Bernstein Bears. Six, I can handle that. Indeed, indeed, indeed. All right. Uh, a few docs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of which are uh, informative or uh, just lovely um, in, in their concept, including this one, To Be of Service, uh, a really, really wonderful film uh, with a great song associated by with it by John uh, Bon Jovi. Uh, this is a John Bronson film. To Be of Service is about service dogs. It's about veterans with PTSD oh, nice. coming home from 
from you know, our many wars uh, with PTSD. They go through all kinds of different treatments, but it seems that without fail, when paired with a service animal, usually dogs, but not always, when paired with a service animal, uh, uh, veterans suffering from PTSD get better. And not only do they get it's better, it heals their entire family. Uh, you know, it brings yeah. the entire the, the, these animals bring entire families. It's an absolutely fascinating thing. Uh, that's so intriguing to me. Um, and, and, and you know, I get this too. It's funny because for the first time, you know, we go to Disneyland every so often. Oh yeah. And and because uh, you know, our child, and uh, there's a sign right at the uh, the end the, when you do the check in that kind of gives you all like a not allowed in the park and you can bring this and that. And you never really pay attention to those things. Like not allowed in the park. And I'm like, I know it says heroin is not allowed. I, I, don't, <laughs> need to, I don't need to read that. But, um, you know, I read it the other day because we were in line and I'm like, I'm sorry, service horse? <laughs> Mini horse? Really? Is allowed? Like, how do you even get that on the tram? Uh, look. And know, apparently, um, apparently these are, these are not even like these are little like little horses. These are horses that are the size of smaller you know, than ponies. Small, smaller than dogs. Yeah, like smaller, certainly smaller than a Saint Bernard. Like like this is a like wow. it's, it's like probably the size of like an eight year old child. You know, I didn't know we had strange. we had bred things down to that size. <laughs> you know, you know what we you know what what was that what was, what, what was that wacky movie that Alex uh, downsizing? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, look. Right. I know. That's my little that, pony is going to be a real thing. That's it's not seeming so crazy now. My little pocket pony. Uh, that movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Anthropocene, The Human Epoch. This is a documentary that's absolutely fascinating. It's from the same folks who made the doc uh, Manufactured Landscapes. Yeah. And what they do is over long, long, long periods of time, and Anthropocene is, a, is, is, a, is, is an era. Right. Uh, there are different eras across history. Yeah. And what they're arguing is that, that we've moved out of one era and into a new era. And this era is indicative of the way humans uh, uh, change the actual face of the earth in large scale ways. And this film is full of uh, landscape. I won't, uh, you, uh, many of them defacements, but, but, but certainly landscape changes that we make with gigantic gigantic pieces of equipment, the likes of which I have never actually seen in person, earth-moving pieces of equipment with tires as big as houses, tires as big as houses, that literally knock the tops off mountains, not to mention the things that we do with explosives uh, to change the landscape. And that is the argument of these folks. Uh, and it's a, it's a fascinating documentary. Um, uh, Edward Norton is doing a good deal of the narration in the film. There's an interview uh, in the doc with Edward Norton. And until you, and much of the much of the uh, visuals in this doc is done with high altitude drones. Oh wow! Flying uh, over you know large scale areas, so you can get these sort of you, well you get scale. Yeah. And you can see how big these things are, and as these drones uh, and, and they're shooting high speed photography, so everything is in high very very slow motion. Right. Uh, and as they move in from high altitude further and further and further down, and everything comes to to proportion, yeah, and you realize how big these earth-moving uh, machines are. It's just you know it blows your mind. Mm. Human beings can do this. Crazy. We can knock the tops off mountains, and it's not even hard. Crazy. It's not even hard. That's what that's all about. Crazy. Serendipity. Uh, this is also a a, a, a fascinating um, a documentary. A young French. Um, um, a multidisciplinary artist uh, at the age of 30 is diagnosed with breast cancer. And what she decides to do, because she's a young French artist, is document the entire thing and, as well as you know, what she was going through and what she was thinking in a sort of, um, in, in, in multiple disciplines, video, 
painting. Agnes Varda shows up in this. It shows up in this, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, 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 who we lost, what, the island just, just last year? Months ago. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Wonderful, her, that wonderful doc of hers, yeah. Agnes by Agnes. This, this, this is like the second, apart from Agnes's own film, mm-hmm. I think this is the second to last thing that she appeared in theatrically. But I also think she made her film before she appeared in before this Before she appeared in this I think this is film. literally her last appearance. Actual on, appearance in a movie. In, in, yeah. in a, in a movie. Yeah. A, a fascinating film, wonderful piece of work. Uh, here, uh, uh, Prune Nori is her name, the young French artist, and um, you know, uh, y- y- deeply enlightening, fascinating stuff. Uh, an emotional self-portrait. They are tattoo uprising. This is also a neat, neat doc about where the hell tattoos come from. Uh, <laughs> I know uh, where and, they come and, from. Mm. I know where they come from. They come from the place down on the corner. Over yeah, 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 over there in, in, in Hollywood, anyway. Yeah. Uh, and this really is interesting. Uh, deeply into antique- antiquity. Um, this film looks back to you know, when, when, when sailors left Europe and traveled yeah. to uh, the Caribbean and then to Tahiti and the South Pacific and what they were doing there and how they made the tattoos and, and what they used them for and how they carried the art uh, back to the east, um, uh, back to the west, I should say. Uh, good, good stuff. Really interesting. Um, uh, just deep look into the untold story of the what they call Tattoo Uprising. Tattoo Uprising. Neat film there. Corporate coup d'etat. What's interesting about this film? This is this is an explicitly a, a political film. Um, I, I don't know that it's particularly liberal leaning or, or left leaning. This film. What this film says is that it's sort of obvious that corporations have a whole lot of influence over government. Now, this is an obvious sort of thing. I don't necessarily. I, I don't think anybody disputes that. Would, would, would dispute that, and the and it, and it simply poses the question: Is this what we intended? That we actually intend that uh, for yeah. corporations to have this much influence, and there, there were a lot of reasons for it. Um, what was that uh, that court ruling? That, uh, well, uh, oh, uh, uh, you know, Citizens United. The Citizens United, yeah. and all kinds of all of which is explored here. And again, it's posing the questions. It's asking. Uh, whether or not this is what we intended, rather than making some sort of a judgment about it. Interesting that most of this was funded by the uh, government of Canada. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, corporate ca- uh, coup d'état. Interesting stuff. Uh, Chasing Portraits, another fascinating it's a great film. So wonderful uh, Polish uh, painter Moshe Rynicki, 1881, 1943, died in the concentration camps. Uh, renowned at the time yeah. of his death. Most of his paintings thought to be lost uh, to time and memoriam in one way or yeah. another. His great great granddaughter decides she ain't having it. Yep. And she starts going and looking for her great-grandfather's paintings, and she starts to find them. It's great. Everywhere. And, and what's horrible about this is that these folks still have to go through all kinds of machinations. The hoops. The to get, hoops, to get to, the yeah. bureaucratic And you hoops, would have thought yeah. through the 90s that governments and museums, a lot of these things are held by governments. Yeah. Some of them are held in museums. Some of them are in private collections. You would have thought through the, by the time we get through the middle 2000s no. that they would have simply said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. When we understand that we have... Uh, come into uh, the, the possession of this absconded with artwork. We are simply going to give it back, period. Yeah. But no, she has to kick ass to get her granddaddy's paintings back, which is just disgusting. And he was a wonderful artist, by the way, chasing portraits, time thieves. Now, this is why this is interesting, because I, <laughs> I, I'm living this one, guys. And everybody, you're going to want to watch this, because this is what, what this doc is about. Think about all of the things, and you and I are old enough to actually yeah. know this. If you're a little bit younger, you might miss this. Think about all of the things that you do now that were not things that, that regular, ordinary people ever did at a point in history. There was a point before Ikea when 
regular folks never put together furniture. You bought furniture, it was already put together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but now, in, in an ordinary way, lots of people have become furniture manufacturers. You buy a piece of furniture mm-hmm. almost anywhere, and there's some portion of your time that you have to spend putting that furniture together. And, I, and this documentary goes through all kinds of things like that. Things that you have to do now that used to be, you, we never used to pump gas. You and yeah. I are old enough to remember that, right? Yeah. Well, I, I was, you know, I was a, I was a young, I was a kid, but I can remember when this thing called self-service. Yeah. And everybody became a gas station attendant. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And you can, and I can, this do, it goes through mm-hmm. dozens of these things that we never used to do. It's that we all have to spend some time learning how to and doing now. Really, and if you think about it, all of these things take time. Now, yeah. most of them are supposed to be what? Time savers. Mm-hmm. It is not time saving to check yourself out in the self-checkout line of anything. <laughs> did it yesterday at the Walmart. Took me 20 with the beep in the bag and put the pick, pick the thing up. No, yeah. you didn't do the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the lady has to come over there anyway. And she's like, no, take this, put it back over here. <laughs> and next thing, the thing rings up and I owe them $3,000. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I got a pack of batteries and some gum. Not time-saving no. at all. This doc no. is about that. And it's a hell of a thing. Time thieves. Time is big business. Hell of a thing. All right, I'm going to wrap out with the rest of the kid vid, and then we will uh, say farewell until next week. Garfield and Friends Season 2. It's too much Garfield. This is remastered. Don't know that it needed to be remastered. Mark hates Garfield because he likes pizza, and I don't know. Mark has issues with Garfield, but but (laughs) nonetheless. You know I have issues with animals talking. I know. Uh, I have issues with the Garfield films. I like the comic strip. Don't particularly care for the animated show, but it's all right. Uh, Anyway. This is season two, just more of the Garfields thing. It's nothing particularly unique. Got a couple here that are uh, holiday-related, past their due date, but it's okay. They'll come around again next year. The Rankin-Bass holiday short Cricket on the Hearth on Blu-ray, which is very, very sweet. Uh, based on the, uh, the the Charles Dickens story, uh, this is you know done at the in in two uh, D animation cell animation at the time they did Frosty the Snowman. It's kind of more of the same. It's actually very very sweet. It's very nicely done. Uh, some good voice work and some uh, some good you know Rankin Bass animation work from the day. A uh, a Valentine special from Pinkalicious and Peterific from PBS Kids. This is a Pinkatastic Valentine's Day. Pinkatastic. Uh, Valentine's when you have a kid is a really weird thing, but I will say this is uh, Valentine's Day in Pinkville, and Pinkalicious wants to just really go to town on on Valentine's Day, and uh, you get five stories here that are all very, very sweet and, and gooey and whatnot. Playmobil the movie is an attempt to do with the Playmobil world, what the Lego films did. And uh, you've got Daniel Radcliffe doing the voice of a secret agent who's got to get together with all these other Playmobil characters to figure out why some of them are disappearing. And it, it's big, giant toy advertisement is what it is. Uh, the only thing that's interesting here is that uh, Jim Gaffigan and Daniel Radcliffe do kind of a comedy shtick together with their voices. And it, and it works. It's fine. Ari, my robot friend, A-R-I, the adventures of Ari. Uh, so this is basically... It, 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 it's it's kind of dumb. This is a live-action film about a boy and his robot friend, and it reminds me a little bit of uh, what was the dumb thing from the 80s? What was... 
Oh, that, that stupid uh, uh, robot. That, you had uh, Johnny Sacco, giant robot. Well, that John, that John Batten produced thing about it was ET with a robot. Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh my god, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, this this kind of aspires to that. This is a grindstone thing. This is you know not not terribly interesting. I think it's really really kind of silly. The robot's not very convincing, but you know some of the jokes are dumb, and kids like tend to like dumb jokes. And then the uh, last two here are both derivations of Disney animation, which I find really interesting. They use kind of the same, the same titling, and the sa- and they both kind of borrow their character designs from what Disney has done. It's really interesting how, how deep that goes. Uh, the first is the Big Trip, which uh, and bo- these are these are all Dell approved, by the way. Big Trip is sort of it's it's from one of the writers of Madagascar, and all the characters have the Madagascar look, especially the bear. It looks just like Disney bears. Um, it's you know it's 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 a it, it's a bunch of animals on a mission and you know a, 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 a stolen baby panda and you know it's cute and, and manic and frenetic. Short and the la- circuit. In the, the short circuit. Thank yeah. you. That was it. Yeah. Uh, Arctic dogs is uh, all about dogs in the Arctic and other animals in the Arctic. It's got a lot of good voice talent. It's okay. This is on a Blu-ray with digital copy from Lionsgate. And it's all about an Arctic fox voiced by Jeremy Renner. And uh, it's got some, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun adventure thing. John Cleese does the voice of a walrus and Alec Baldwin and James Franco and Omar C. And a lot of people, you know, Omar C. who was in our, our Oscar shortlisted short. They all do really good voice work. So yeah. I, I kind of enjoyed Arctic Dogs in a weird way. Angelica Houston. It's good stuff. So with that, we are done this week. And uh, we will be back next week. Have a terrific time. Don't get the coronavirus. Stay locked up. Listen to this podcast. We will save your lives.